Hello, welcome everyone hey. to another episode of the Midgar Minute Podcast. I am Chris, joined as always by my amazing co-host Nick. Oh, amazing you say. Yeah, I'm trying to find different words. I, I feel like I always say faithful and lovely every time. <laughs> gotta, gotta, switch gotta mix it up, it up a little bit, again, you know? But yeah, you it's know, been, but you it's know, been sixty something episodes. Maybe, yeah, you know, you know got to keep everyone on their toes. But you know who is always lovely and faithful? The wonderful people over in the Mosey Gang. Hey! And uh, those people are Scott, Kyle, AJ, Danny, Kevin, Jillian, Brianne, Matt, Sam, Charlotte, Cameron, Garrett, Dan M, Ryan, and Petros. Thank you guys so much for supporting us. And if you, dear listener, would like to support us as well for the low, low price of one dollar. You can uh, join our Discord, uh, in which we uh, discuss a myriad of things. Uh, we've been trying to uh, set up a movie night recently. We play games together. We do a whole bunch of other things, and hopefully want to do get more stuff uh, going together in the future. But uh, if you would like to contribute, uh, we have links in the episode description and in our uh, Instagram uh, description as well, uh, if you would like to do that. But... As we always say, we're just happy that you're here, and we're happy very to be happy here that too. you're here. And just, I just want to say, like, it's been we've been doing this for about a year and a half now, and I'm just amazed that you know all of you still show up after all this time, especially now that we're in this downtime where mm-hmm. there's no new FF7 content in sight. But the fact that you know so many of you show up week after yes. week after week to hear what we have to say, to stay on this journey, learn more about the world of Gaia and Seven. Um, I'm just really, I'm just, you know, every once in a while I get in a good way overwhelmed with the amount of support in this community and the people who show up, uh, just wanted to say that, you know, I feel like we can never say that kind of stuff enough. So yeah, absolutely. I I agree with everything you just said and more, (laughs) I am constantly wowed by, uh, the support that we get. And even, even the, the fact that we've cultivated, uh, such a lovely community of people, uh, who are all, we all have different, you know, we're all from different walks of life but we all have a shared love of Final Fantasy and we can all come together and, uh, you know, have all different approaches to a, a similar thing. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And there's there are those of us who are hopelessly addicted to Final Fantasy fourteen, and others who aren't. And then there's me. <laughs> see there's even the diversity among your hosts <laughs> yeah see yeah we you know we we got the whole thing down we have the guy who knows it all and then um well and in, in terms of final fantasy 14 anyway and then the guy who doesn't know anything except i do know that it's a video game um but <laughs> you know we'll, we'll we'll hold off um you trying to tie me to a chair and uh force me to play ff14 for a later episode but for this episode, <laughs> we're going to talk about um, the uh, Ultimania Plus. Now, Ultimania if, Plus! If you remember, uh, if you guys have been listening to us for a while, we did do an episode last year. Um, there was an Ultimania book that came out that was kind of, uh, had a lot of, uh, you know, sort of uh, concept art and uh, uh, interviews and stuff with the, uh, the guys who made the game, you know, obviously mm-hmm. Nomura and, and Nojima and everyone like that. Kitase. Kitase. And they basically, I guess with the release of Integrate and Intermission, they created another book called the uh, Material Ultimania Plus, which uh, I was, uh, in doing research for this episode, was kind of confused because it was called a different thing. And I'm like, wait, is this is this the same book, but with just some more stuff? And it's like, no, this book is 
completely new and separate from the previous book. Oh, yeah. Um, and unfortunately, it's only out in Japanese so far, but much like the last Ultimania episode, we have our good old pal Audrey on Twitter, um, at IT... I, Jesus, I feel like I stumbled on this last time, too. Itaiki Mochi uh, on Twitter. Doing God's work. Doing God's work and translating uh, a, a select few uh, interesting passages from the book. Not There's not a full translation out there as far as I know. But uh, we have compiled a bunch of uh, her work and are going to uh, go through it and kind of see all the interesting new little things. And this is, I feel like some of these things are going to range from like sort of, oh, like, cute little details that like get fleshed out or things that could potentially give us uh you know ideas of like where things are going to head in the story absolutely so there's like a there's a wide berth of things here yeah we're gonna get everything like you said from those cute character moments to those little easter eggs to actually getting some insight on what the hell all of this means. Mm-hmm. And so, I think... I'm excited. Uh, and we're going to start with... Um, uh, I, I would say something that is kind of like adding context to another moment um, of when Cloud and Tifa have the resolution scene, you know, the scene that they have before they go to Shinra Tower, and it could either be Tifa, Aerith, or Barrett. And I believe we also have another one for Tifa in this at some point, too, that goes into what she what her scenes about which i feel like is a little bit more there's a lot more uh there's going to be uh concreting of theories going on here yeah <laughs> you know certain ideas that we have said on this show before that are going to be like oh so that is what they were going for <laughs> exactly and i just want to posit something before we get into the teacher's sure. re- resolution scene um i always kind of got the impression impression even though all three scenes with Aerith, tifa barrett are all technically canon. They could all exist on top of each other. Mm-hmm. But I always felt like that if you were telling this story, that the Tifa resolution scene actually kind of fit into the plot's pacing the best. Now, don't get me wrong. I think I like the Aerith scene best. Mm-hmm. But when I think about, like, the flow of everything going on... Uh, I it, think I agree with you 100%. Yeah, and I that. think there's a reason they elaborated on it in this Ultimania. And you'll see from some of these... Um, I guess some of these notes that we get that this scene really does build out Cloud's character very subtly. Yeah, and I, I think I mean it was even the point because I remember back when we first played the remake and I got the Aerith scene and I'm like, oh, this is really great. And then I saw the Tifa scene, I was like, fuck, <laughs> I wish I had got that scene. Um, but yeah, we just get a nice little thing here um, of a Cloud. Uh, I feel like what we should do, I'm sorry to interrupt you again, but I feel like one thing that we could do, because not everyone's going to have these in front of them or Mm -hmm. maybe even seek them out. Let's not necessarily read the dialogue lines, but these seem to be Nojima's notes in Mm -hmm. the script. I think if we read out Nojima's notes on all these passages, people could get a really good idea of um, the sort of context behind the scene. Sure, absolutely. Um, Yeah, so yeah, I'll I'll read this one. Um, This Again, Tifa's resolution scene. And, you know, this is when she, you know, she says, oh, they took everything from us again. And uh, in the notes, he says, uh, all the emotions that she had held back came spilling out. The death of her parents, the destruction of their home, all the sadness she had felt up to now is released. She puts her face against Cloud and starts crying. <clears throat> the voices, the, oh, sorry, the flowers tremble again against the, oh, I think that's a typo. I, yeah. They tremble against the wind. Uh, the blue light is reflected in the water. 
Tifa's voice carrying her sadness rings throughout or her sa carrying her sadness rings throughout. We just want to say that Audrey uh, is a, a Japanese <laughs> and uh, she's uh, translating these into English. So there might be some weird hiccups here and there. Uh, carrying her sadness rings throughout the quiet of the night. And Cloud tries to wrap his arms around her. He does so slowly at first, but then takes the plunge <laughs> and hugs her. <laughs> that That's <laughs> an interesting way to word it, but I, I love it. Uh, more so than conveying his thoughts to Tifa, a part of him that he hid in the recesses of his mind comes to, comes to light, where he always wanted to become a cool hero who can save Tifa. He finds happiness that he was able to do this for her. Or rather, it becomes something akin to a blunder of youth that Cloud has never experienced before, which leaves a bittersweet memory. A small smile of satisfaction crosses his face. Tifa cries. Tifa's cries start to calm down, and then the quiet of night returns. And then it's kind of just, it plays out the way the rest of the scene plays out, which, man. Um, All right, so let's unwrap that a little bit. That's, uh, that's interesting to me, because... Even as like a, a fan of of FF Seven and something, it's like when when these scenes are sort of playing out, I was very much in the moment of the scenes and didn't necessarily consider this sort of thing. It's like, oh yeah, maybe you know, there's a lot of subtext here, you know, and mm -hmm. and it, and it it kind of sucks because it makes me think of like there are other or so many other things that have probably happened, not even in just in this game, but in any other game i guess really could go this way even when you think of someone you know you know like an artist whatever artist an artist makes something right and they have a a certain idea in their head of what that means but then when it gets released to the public it's kind of open up for interpretation i mean there can be you can kind of guide them to a certain destination but people could have you know they could totally like people like me i totally missed this level of subtext and didn't never even thought about it you know what i mean so I'm glad that this stuff exists to, like, add, you know, I can look back at the scene now and be like, oh, it was already a very impactful scene and was something that you could, I guess you could kind of infer from all the stuff that was happening, especially if you know the history between the two of them. Exactly. But, you know, the idea of, like, Cloud f feeling kind of cool for being able to actually be a hero for Tifa is, you know, something, you know, and it's not, like, explicitly brought up anywhere. So that's something that you kind of just have to come up with on your own or have told to you <laughs> by uh by the creators themselves um, right and i think you know one of the things that's cool about this scene even though it's a big moment for tifa this moment is you know just as big for cloud as it is for her now mm -hmm. you know when we're looking at tifa and her context in here they mention that you know the thoughts of the death of her parents the destruction of her home the destruction of seventh heaven you know she's stringing along that shinra is essentially responsible, Shinra and Sephiroth, if mm -hmm. you put them together, are essentially responsible for all of the suffering in her life, mm -hmm. and none of it was deserved. It's not like Tifa, you know, before Avalanche, did anything to Shinra. It's not like Tifa, no, before she, Avalanche, did anything to she Sephiroth. She was just an innocent cowgirl. Exactly. <laughs> Live it, living in... Learn, uh, learning martial arts. But, yeah. you know, she was essentially an innocent bystander who mm -hmm. just paid the price of being a, the, a, like, I don't even want to say a pawn. Wrong but just place like, at the wrong time. Wrong place at the wrong time and just collateral damage for Shinra. Um, 
So, you know, you see all of that just well up in her because, you know, it feels like it's never going to stop. It started with the death of her parents and the destruction of Nibelheim and now the destruction of Seventh Heaven. And now she's like literally a wanted criminal by the regime. <laughs> yeah. Like, she's thinking like, when is when is this ever going to end? When is enough so, enough? Yeah. Yeah. So seeing that like all of that is what's overwhelming her really paints into the scene well. But getting into Cloud, I think the thing I love the most about this is if you have the context of OG, you understand the Cloud's eggs are scrambled. Mm -hmm. He doesn't exactly know who he is, and he spends a lot of his story not only getting to know himself, but remembering who he is. And this right. might be listed as Tifa's resolution scene, but I think the reason I love this so much is it could just as well be Cloud's resolution scene. Because Ooh. as he's hugging Tifa, like you said, realizing he's finally becoming that cool hero who can save Tifa, he's like this is why i'm here this mm -hmm. is why i did it this is why the soldier uniform is on this is why the buster sword is on my back i set out to join soldier because of her yeah, and now here promise. i am in this position to finally fulfill what i promised her all those years ago yeah and i think that it is also kind of not maybe not the first scene but one of the first scenes of when you know if you know as it says you know cloud takes takes the plunge and and really hugs her is like a moment of like, oh, this is this is true cloud coming through. This isn't right. This isn't cool guy cloud. She you pierced know? the veil. Right. And it's something that, you know, and we've even kind of discussed it before of like there's been those moments where, you know, you're always wondering like, why isn't Tifa ever mentioning anything about Nibelheim to Cloud? Why is she not, you know what I mean? Why is she not questioning any of the like where have you and been? And a little all bit this of time? that and a little bit of that slipped through here. Mm-hmm. And that might be why Cloud kind of had his veil that pierced. That tapped yeah. into the into the deep recesses, as it says, of his mind of like, yes. oh, this this is something like, oh yes, this is who I am. This is where I came from. You know, Tifa. You know, she's my childhood friend. You know, mm -hmm. someone who like he kind of you know not that he was. Eh, I mean, I not not cold, but you know, he kind of was. It always seemed like he was. You know, whenever Tifa, because when they first meet up back in Sector Seven. You know, she Tifa tries to prod a little bit and be like, "So what's what's the deal with you?" And he's just like, "Eh, whatever. I'm I'm here." He's guarded. I'm, yeah, you know, he's very you know he's got the walls up, you know. But this is kind of a moment where like I that's why I was so upset when I saw this scene and I was like, "Man, this scene is so great because it gives you that extra like, oh, this is I kind of want you guys to be this way all the time, not necessarily that I'm I'm a as they as the kids say a cloty." Uh, or Clouty, I don't know how they pronounce it. Uh, I, I don't ship the two of them necessarily. Um, which uh, you know, looking through the comments on this Twitter thread, I do, bro. <laughs> that's where everyone seems to be more uh, concerned about that. But I mean, I think uh. you know, I still I appreciate Cloud and Tifa's relationship, and you know, I think that you know they could absolutely go that way. You know, or I think they should. <laughs> well. When the only other well, option Zach, is Zach Aerith. Is going to be lonely? Is, yeah. that, is that the plan? I mean, well, I don't know. <laughs> it's one of those things. I, even when playing Remake the first time, I was very conflicted. I'm like, even when, you know, in Aerith's resolution scene, she's like, ah, nah, you shouldn't fall in love with me, dog. I'm like, but it makes so much sense don't like, why he would, this. though, because he's he's trying to be Zach, and of, of course. Of course. And Aerith, I mean, Aerith is like, you know, the person who came in and, you know, kind of opened up, you know, opened him up or began the process of opening him up, you know, and I feel like that is a, 
uh, a scenario in which you could easily, you know, as Cloud, you could get super attached to Aerith, and obviously he does, and we all know the story from that point on. But I I feel like I have a a greater appreciation for Cloud and Tifa's relationship, and it makes me excited to see where they take it in the future. You know, especially if, you know, there's in, in the next games, if there's going to be choices like that. Like, are we, is there a potential where, you, you know, Cloud maybe does, you know, obviously with like the Golden Saucer stuff and stuff like that, could, could there be a outcome where it's like, yeah, you know, all this stuff with Aerith sucks or whatever, but I got Tifa, so, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm not that, I'm not that upset. No, not that I, I don't think, I don't think it'll be that bad, but. <laughs> no, I don't think so either. Um, um, but if you want to uh, move on to our next one. Yes, uh, this uh, is... the one I have pulled up is uh, with Genova and Cloud in the yes, elevator. Yes, yes. Yeah. So yeah, when uh, you know when we when we meet Red Thirteen, and uh, which there's there's another one here about that specific scene as well. But in that we'll scene where that. where Cloud is um, you know walking down the hallway, and then he, when he finally gets down, you know he's having his you know his migraines or whatever, and he's you know stumbling down the hallway, and then he gets to the elevator and touches it and says, "Mother." Um, apparently during this There's scene, a lot of un, uh, un, <laughs> unexpressed details going on in the background. Yeah. Which... I think a lot of us, I'm like, we've talked about this scene extensively. We all, I'm just going to pat ourselves on the back. We've always suspected that this was what was going on. Um, but yeah. let me, let me get into Nojuma's notes here. So mm. he goes, cloud looks at the elevator. He feels uneasy. His field of vision starts shaking it feels like something is calling out to him. It seems like an ominous voice is saying cloud in a fuzzy reverse playback. So it'll be interesting to take some of those mutters that he hears and actually re-reverse them and see if it says cloud. Mm. But anyway, it talks about, you know, Barrett says his line, but it sounds far away. Cloud is not focused on the party. It says Barrett's voice sounds far away. Genova's pod seems to overlap the round elevator shape in a type of flashback. For mm-hmm. a moment, the noise cuts in. This is the strongest noise that Cloud has experienced up until now. He holds his head in pain, the classic, the classic, I'm having a moment, (laughs) but then staggers forward. Cloud moves out of the circle of his companions and walks in an unstable way. He approaches the elevator as if he's fascinated by it. And this is when we hear Cloud, he's just groaning, he's saying like, Mother Genova. He starts to like whisper these things to himself. Mm, and just real quick before you continue, sounds awfully familiar to another right uh, type of people that we've seen utter similar things, like Marco. Mm. But let's uh, let's carry on. So it says while Cloud is moving towards the elevator, he hallucinates hearing a distorted and muffled voice, and he hears the voice of Sephiroth saying, "Mother, I have come for you. Mother, together we will reclaim our world. Mother." They have come again. Genova is calling to Sephiroth, and Sephiroth is answering her. As Cloud gets closer to the Genova pod, he becomes entangled in this. Mm-hmm. Just like how he hooded, just like how the hooded cloaked figures attuned to Sephiroth, Cloud too tries oh, to answer see, no, I didn't to even read. I didn't even read. I just said that on my own. I didn't even read that mm-hmm. on, the, on the thing. Well, this, I mean, we've kind of been on this ball for right. a while, you yeah. know? And mm-hmm. then it says, uh, as Cloud arrives at the elevator, he reaches out a hand, 
For a moment, the elevator turns into Genova's pod. The pod is filled with a bubbling nutrient solution. Cloud's pulse speeds up intensely. He slowly moves his face upwards. He sees Genova's body floating within the pod. Mm -hmm. The camera moves from her feet to her head, but the field of vision from the neck upwards is cut off. Cloud's eyes open widely. His soldier eyes start to waver like Mako. Mm -hmm. And that's when he says mother again, and then Tifa Mm -hmm. and Aerith sort of snap him out of it, which... This is Man, like I got part- chills. <laughs> yeah, with that, well, this scene, I'm just imagining always, the scene in my head as it's going on. Right, and like I have always loved this scene because it's such a good. It's right there at the end game, and it's such an insight to what's going on with Cloud, mm-hmm. and it's a little hint of what happened to Cloud before this game's story started. Mm-hmm. So I really, this is the detail that I didn't know that Genova actively was calling out to Sephiroth, to Sephiroth, and and Cloud was just in the the area of effects. Yes. You know, and since, and, and you know, like, kind of like how we were saying with the last one, it's like. But now the question, Chris, yeah. why is Cloud hearing Genova's call? Because mm, he's got them, them cells, them S cells. He's got them S cells in them, baby. Mm-hmm. And again, it's like what we were saying with the last one is like, you know, you can kind of infer that because we're getting closer to Genova that the, the effects of Genova will become more intense. But with this added layer of subtext, it kind of is like, oh, okay. You know, it's like, because we were always kind of theorizing that Genova was specifically manipulating Cloud, which, I mean, I still think that in some way Genova is, but in this specific instance, you know, Genova was calling out to Sephiroth and Cloud just basically eavesdropped on them talking to each other. Um, and you know, honestly, with this, it kind of almost makes me because you know, like how movies get novelizations. Yeah. I kind of almost want there. I mean, I I don't know how close like the Ultimania books are because there is a lot of things like this where they go through certain scenes of dialogue. But I want, I almost kind of want a novelization of remake specifically because I feel like it would add all these layers of subtext that you couldn't necessarily, you know, because we always talk about you know video games are you know. Of such a invaluable medium because they can you know convey certain things that you can't through like a movie but i still feel like something like a book can also is that in that unique way of like oh you you can get across things that you can couldn't necessarily get across in a movie or a video game you know what i mean 100 mm-hmm. it's still it's and it kind of just makes me feel like oh yeah this is m- still a viable way <laughs> of doing things like reading this like even I legitimately getting chills while listening to you read this, and I'm like, "Fuck!" Imagine <laughs> if there was an entire book of this. Right. Well, technically, there is, but um, you know, hopefully, hopefully this this book will get released fully in English, and we can actually like kind of, you know, pour over it and see all the things because there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of dialogue based things in here, but I I just man. I yeah, it'll be I, it'll be interesting if this ever comes out in English, and we can more fully dissect this kind of stuff but if you want to stay on chapter 16 and uh talk we could talk a little bit about that whole Aerith and red 13 moment mm-hmm. uh, i don't know if you want to champion that yes um and then this one this one's in uh, a interview with uh toriyama and uh the question was can you explain why red 13 lost his consciousness in chapter 16 it seems the Whispers would chase after him since his violent demeanor deviates from the destiny that the Whispers aim for. So why did they not stop him? Which is something that was uh, interesting to me as well. Um, 
But uh, Toriyama says, Red 13 did not lose his consciousness. Rather, it was the result of the repeated experiments by Hojo that planted fear and anger into him. After releasing these emotions, he acts like a type of wary wild animal. However, thanks to Aerith's courage in reaching out to him, he is able to calm down. So the Whispers do not need to intervene here. So Aerith kind of... <laughs> You know, picking up the slack for the whispers, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, in addition, when Aerith comes into contact with Red Thirteen, he is able to obtain knowledge that only that only he can see due to his longevity. However, the amount he receives is so vast that he is not able to see everything clearly. So that is obviously in, in reference to the scene where Aerith approaches Red, and you have like that similar scene like she had with Marlene, mm -hmm. where so can now I... now we have a a conf confirmation that this is a transfer of knowledge and i want to i want to clear something up because this just clicked to me now when they mm -hmm. says because it sounds like gibberish if you don't like go further a little bit but when mm -hmm. he says he's able to obtain knowledge that only he can see due to his longevity yeah that now was interesting i want to get too. into that i think what that basically means is all these flashbacks and all this information that everybody received right whether it's cloud seeing visions of Aerith in the future or the whole party seeing that vision from OGFF7 with mm -hmm. Red running. Basically, you can only receive... It seems to me what this implies is you can only receive transmissions and information that happens while you yourself are alive or, as far as the Whispers are concerned, destined to be alive for. Yeah, so it, because Red 13 mm -hmm. species lives far longer than humans, that qualifies him for to, way more knowledge yeah, than to, Cloud, Tifa, Barrett, all of them. Any, any regular any regular human being, right? Yes. Because and I love that they said the amount he receives is so vast that he's not able to see everything clearly because he probably downloaded like 300 much. years of information. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it's kind of like, you know, being in like the, the concept of infinity, right? It's like if you were actually in something in infinity where you're feeling everything, all things at once, you wouldn't be able to process it. Exactly. You know, so it's like it, it oh, like the way again, the way that they frame these things are just so good. And I feel like, you know, because we got to remember also because, you know, people will be like, oh, well, what about Aerith? Well, Aerith is a Cetra or half Cetra at least. Yes. You know, so she is technically not a human, you know, or a demi-human, I guess, technically you could say. But, you know, it, it's very interesting that like this is sort of a confirmation that you know this you know something because we knew obviously the game was sort of implying that yeah there's something happening here because mm -hmm. you know red at this point was you know he had he was bearing his fangs and he was you know approaching the party in, in anger and then Aerith touches him and then he you know chills out and smooths out so he's like uh -huh. oh. so i again i feel like I, this is another little sort of detail and i feel like it's the same with a lot of these a lot of little details that's can recontextualize things and gives us a little bit more to chew on in terms of like what is actually occurring here because obviously remake purposefully i believe makes it vague as to a lot of things that are happening here and we do get like little clarifications like this go a long way in terms of thinking about where the future of the game is going to go because I feel like these things, like I said, might be a little innocuous and a little kind of random and whatever. But I, those these little bit of flushing out is really adding that bit of texture that I feel like really, um, really can benefit the story going forward. Exactly. I could not agree with you more. 
And uh, speaking of which, it'll <laughs> um, be a have, good transition. Yeah. yeah again, and again, the, the, we were just talking about the scene. It was similar to the scene with Marlene. And uh, we get a, a, another thing here, uh, a, a little bit more of a clarification. I yeah, guess. this one's pretty straightforward. When I look at this, I feel like we we already knew all of this. At least yeah. over here at the Midgar Minute, we were always uh, up to par, at least on this scene. Yeah, where, you know, when uh, Marlene, uh, you know, hugs Aerith and, you know, we have that moment of like, wait, is Marlene a cetera? <laughs> and, well, here's the thing is that this kind of, you know, basing it off of what we were just discussing... Maybe this is saying that Marlene has a little bit something extra going on because... Well, they don't come out, come right out and say it, but the one part where they clarify, as I say right here, Marlene wiggles out of Aerith's hold, her mouth drops open, but Aerith puts a finger to her lips to motion, keep it a secret. Marlene nods, Aerith offers her hand, Marlene is hesitant to touch, but this time nothing will happen. Marlene mm -hmm. then grabs onto Aerith. So it's i mean that was all straight there like we i feel like we always picked up on this and Aerith, you know going shh made it mm -hmm. quite obvious like was hey this a don't transfer... tell anyone what i just showed you yeah was this another transfer of knowledge basically i think it 100 percent was and as you know because we kind of just and the next time that we see marlene after this scene is at the end when she is potentially hearing the flowers speak to her and or she's hearing barrett from you know through the through the water droplet on the flower yeah and as you know barrett is obviously on the the sitter the city limits uh, far mm -hmm. outside of midgar and you know i think because my initial uh in interpretation of this when it was happening was like some marlene has a latent ability or something that she's gonna oh, have she's an ancient bro she's gonna she's be an ancient you know she's gotta have i feel like because we don't know because we know like her dad uh, and that we don't, I don't think we ever really knew. And I think we had discussed at some point that we never really knew her mother. Really. And I've got a feeling that this is one of the things There's... remake is going to flesh out a little yeah, bit. More. And I, I, you know, and I think it's cool because, you know, obviously Marlene never really had much of uh, anything going on in OG. She was just kind of like, you know, there, I feel like for a lot of it. And then obviously it was super tied into Barrett's story and, and, you know, in Corel and all that stuff. Um, but I, I would like to see Marlene get a bit more play because, um, you know, I think it, obviously she's cute as, as heck, but, <laughs> you know, I think there's there's potential there to, you know, because we don't know where things are going to go in terms of like because eventually we will maybe get to an Advent Children timeline and maybe Marlene will be more useful in that setting if she does discover she has like this you know some latent and i mean even ability, if we look at know? advent children marlene wears Aerith's bow like i just just feel like yeah. there's a little bit of an applied lineage there you yeah know? yeah and it's definitely i mean i think she definitely took a lot of inspiration from from Aerith and why how you know you you think about it and you're like oh yeah well that makes sense because Aerith is uh literally a goddess <laughs> in many ways mm -hmm. where she's like this this perfect image of like you know this you know mother Teresa type person you know where she's you know she's taking care of the planet and she's taking care of the orphans and you know she's so humble and you know so mm -hmm. I think as far as role models go <laughs> I think you could do way worse than Aerith yeah, <laughs> I, I could. I would agree with said assessment. Um, do you want to move on to the Destiny Crossroads? Yes. Scene? So this is the thing. I'm just gonna say right here. It's looking very possible. Like we might have to split this Ultimania Plus up into two episodes because I got a feeling 
we're gonna spiral on this one for a bit. <laughs> yeah, because uh, yeah, the, like like I said, that we we're covering a wide berth here. Like where these first couple ones were like, yeah, kind of it makes sense, right? And these are just like added levels of subtext on yes. these things. Th- but, this uh, one's a little different. This one's a, a little bit different. Yeah. <laughs> in terms of uh, in terms of its contents, but uh, would you would you like to? Yeah, sure. Um, let's take it right here. So. We're talking about the scene, Destiny's Crossroads. This is when we're about to go into the singularity. And let's just say um, the party's ready to go pursue Sephiroth. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is where one of my favorite lines comes in, where Aerith tells him it's Destiny's Crossroads. And Cloud says, well, then why did you stop me? And Aerith says, I'm not really sure. Where Tifa asks, what will we find on the other side? Now, here comes some of Nojima's notes. Aerith thinks about it. And looks to have found the right word. Freedom is what Aerith mm-hmm. says. She speaks that in works. response to Zack's line. Everyone shifts their gaze to the wall instead. Now, if you recall, mm-hmm. this was around the time we got those flashbacks that saw Zack in that final standoff scene. So what that tells you is that was not just a cinematic implication. Mm-hmm. Aerith was watching that was just watching that like happen. we were. Mm-hmm. And and, then, and to and you know and again it's one of those things if you go back and watch that scene after you know he, you know he says his little line he's oh come and get it and then it cuts it cuts out onto Aerith it's like mm-hmm. almost like we're coming out of Aerith's head yes very you know? it was a very well done shot mm-hmm. and after that she says one of my favorite lines in the whole thing boundless terrifying, terrifying. freedom like a great never ending sky Aerith mm-hmm. slowly turns around. She feels lost, but she has to properly address her thoughts to everyone who got involved. And what I like about that little note right there, dude, is, you know, remember where we keep talking about how, like, in this chapter, Aerith sort of takes on this different persona? And it's mm-hmm. just like, you, you see here in these notes, it's like, she knows she's doing that. It's yeah. not like she's just suddenly going to shift character. She's like, hey, they need me to take on this role or else we're they're just not gonna, gonna be paralyzed. Yeah, they're just gonna be like, well, I guess we're just gonna sit here at the end of this highway for for the rest of eternity. <laughs> exactly. So she lets everybody know that what they just heard, the howls, those were the voices of the planet, those born into this world who lived and who died, who returned. They're howling in pain. Now I don't think we've ever fully dissected that, which is mm. funny because Cloud. The next note is Cloud is not sure what Aerith is trying to tell him. So he asks <laughs> because of him, Sephiroth. That's when Aerith says, you know, their words, they don't reach them. Aerith holds the thought. This is crazy. Aerith holds the thoughts of all those who live within the planet. Mm-hmm. So in the way where Aerith is able to, I guess, absorb and manifest, embody, or, or carry the legacy of all these lives who lived and died and their memories, she's sort of implying to them, like, hey, the way that we're able to do that Sephiroth not only doesn't he can't because yeah. of what he is and so she's yeah yeah I was gonna say yeah it just it adds a little bit more of that because when she says like oh you know you know the, the the cries of the planet are like rain falling off of his back and yep. it adds it's like oh it's like yeah he literally cannot 
<laughs> you know, because mm-hmm. I just I interpreted that as, as kind of like as you said, as like, oh, he's just he just does he just doesn't give a fuck because <laughs> he only cares mm-hmm. about himself. But it's like no. Well, he's, he's got those Genova cells, right? You got to remember, right. this is the planet. Those are the words of the planet. This is, and Aerith is able to hear that because she is of the planet. She is the planet in the flesh, mm-hmm. so symbolically speaking. But Sephiroth is so, at least this Sephiroth we have here, is so tainted by the Genova cells. And if you re- remember, Genova is not of the planet Earth. Yeah, right. She's the calamity from the sky. So she's not connected to this ether. She's not connected to this life stream. Mm-hmm. I mean, she is in some ways, but she's connected she ca- she's into more a of, She's, I would say, because Aerith is a little bit more naturally a part of it, whereas Genova a virus forced herself in. Yeah. yeah. She kind of she's inserted like a, herself into this, this greater thing. Exactly. Genova is essentially a virus that's infiltrated the life stream that doesn't seek to become a part of it but seeks to devour it yeah and yeah. yeah and devour it like everything else and i think we had said uh when we were originally discussing this scene uh last year that like this is pretty much the point where i was like okay Aerith is the champion of the planet and sephiroth is the champion of Genova. yes and they are kind of like they are they're the the embodiments of those two ideals you know what i mean and kind of like this is the moment where Aerith kind of steps up to her where she should be you know and is like because this is the moment where she's actively talking to sephiroth and be like you're not gonna get away with this fucko (laughs) (laughs) like i'm you know i might have been trying to play coy and cool this whole time but like now things have gotten to this point where you're threatening you know untold you know like this is the point where you know instead of just laying down my life like I did in OG, now I could actually maybe do something different, you know? And and this is, you know, sort of the the, the, the stepping off point, I feel like, for, for Aerith as a character. And this was the, the, the ultimate payoff. Well, not at least not... This is the, the first stage of the payoff <laughs> in right. terms of the buildup that, that Aerith has had throughout Remake so far. Exactly. And we're all... We're kind of seeing that all come to a head mm-hmm. so you know the next thing she says is and when talking about all these moments and memories precious and fleeting they're like rain rolling off his back mm-hmm. and he says and when they're gone he won't cry or shout or anything basically yeah. saying they mean nothing to him you know yeah. not in the way that they mean something to us because then the next line here with no jim's notes is the group thinks about various people dear to them that they want to protect barrett tifa and red 13 look up Barrett thinks about Marlene. Tifa thinks about the friends she lost. Red thinks about his home. Cloud looks at Tifa and then Aerith. And then Aerith presses on with more Viger. So in the way, basically creating this parallel, in the way that everybody in our party has someone or something they're trying Mm -hmm. to protect, Sephiroth is much more self-invested, self-preserving. And that's by way of Genova too. But, you know, there you go, painting those two, like, ideological differences as you said. Yeah, and it's something that, you know, we kind of see, you know, and it, it's it's definitely interesting when you add on the aspect of, like, Sephiroth wasn't always this way. He was sort of mm-hmm. turned into this, almost, you know, because seemingly from what we saw in Crisis Core, it's like, yeah, you know, Sephiroth was always kind of like whatever. He, he didn't really seem, like, he seemed like, you know, sort of a noble sort of dude, but again kind of had that notion of like yeah i don't think he really cares about the greater like he just seemed like the dude that's like oh well i was i'm you know, good at this thing i'm good so at fighting I'm gonna so i'm gonna thing. fight yeah exactly <laughs> you know and had no much he, no he other no motivations right he was exactly. a soldier 
through and, and through a soldier to the end. You know, with a little push, push and a nudge from our old pal Gact. You know, he, uh, you know, eventually, and you know, obviously he was already heading down that path already because he was curious about where he came from and all mm-hmm. this other stuff. But you know, again, I, I still, I, I don't want people to forget that Sephiroth was not always this way. <laughs> he was. No. He was unfortunately. I think it was an inevitable that he would go down this path either way, but you know, it, it's it's hard to it's hard to remember sometimes that Sephiroth is also kind of a victim of well, maybe not even Genova, but more Hojo directly, I guess. But you know, because of Genova's intervention with this planet, that ultimately led up to you know Sephiroth being a fucking right guy who just wants to kill everything. <laughs> exactly like, if i can't be happy nobody can mm-hmm. um you know not, not I, maybe that is a little bit too uh demonstrative but you know i i just i think that it's no i think he's a man i think he's a man who needs to operate under a purpose and shinro was able to at a human level was able to provide him with said purpose but yeah. then he learned that what shinro was telling him the purpose that he was told was he was lie. created for was all a lie so mm-hmm. he said screw you if i came you know from genova of genova she's the reason i have all this strength then i'm serving her i'm, devoting her. I'm yep. not mm-hmm. serving you anymore exactly you know exactly um but i want to move us forward a little bit here because mm-hmm. this next line is very very interesting i will say i'm i am i skipped ahead one slide so uh, at the end of this i am going to go back to earlier in chapter 18 to talk about some things but mm-hmm. let's just wrap this part up so Aerith gives us that line he tell you that he only cares about the planet that he do everything in his power to protect and preserve it but that's not the way it's supposed to be and then the notes say sephiroth's way of preserving the planet is to sacrifice those living but Aerith thinks the planet does not wish for that mm. so now, sephiroth I- is thanos basically worse he's not talking about sacrificing half and half half. he wants to sacrifice hey you know how we can save everyone from suffering just kill them all and then they won't have to suffer anymore well then the the question is and that's the thing i don't think it's so cut and dry as he's just psychotic where he's like okay we'll just kill everyone that's how you save there's more there's more to it than that but i think yeah exactly i think he's he sees the people that he wishes to sacrifice because like it's not just kill yeah, it's, it's sacrificing. So yeah. what's on the other end of that sacrifice? Are they absorbed by Genova? Does mm-hmm. he absorb the life stream? There's a lot of questions to be answered. Um, but I want to move us forward again a little bit. Aerith mentions that he has to be stopped and that she's asking everyone to help her. And the notes mention Aerith loses her vigor and seems less confident. And that's when she says, but if we do, we'll be changing more than fate, uh, fate itself. If we succeed, if we win... We'll be changing ourselves. And then it says, everyone remains silent. Aerith says, maybe that's why I hesitated. And this is the part that really stands out to me. In that moment, the cries of the planet grow louder. It's almost unbearable to everyone. Mm-hmm. As a result, Cloud hardens his resolve. The lead transfers from Aerith to Cloud. Very well done. Um, and then that's where you get those final lines. But this part right here, that in that moment, the cries of the planet grow louder almost as they're like come on guys i no, i think it's the opposite (laughs) end i think the planet's telling them not to do it uh well yeah i guess because that because you're not just like you're not just freeing it up right right for them to succeed you're freeing it up for sephiroth to succeed too where they're like hey if you just leave it intact everything will happen the way it happened before because we'll beat him in advent children yeah this is this is pre this is the, the the whispers are still in play at this moment in time 
Yes. This is before we kill the whispers or, right. or eliminate okay. or them or, at or least whatever. Remove or at the very least remove them from influencing us. Yeah, remove them and from the see, board. Like that's the thing. Look what happened. Sephiroth absorbs all the whispers in that fight. Mm -hmm. This could be the very thing they were howling and screaming at us about, about like, don't change it. We know you don't like the outcome of OG and you want to make it better, but if you give yourself the opportunity to make it better, you, you also could give make yourself, it worse. You could make it worse. <laughs> you could make it way worse. Exactly. So and the whispers are howling like, keep it the way it was. Keep it the way please. it was. Please. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that's, a big that's part definitely of interesting. Our characters believe in free will, apparently, so they went for it. Mm -hmm. um, I want to back. I don't know if you have anything to add to that, but I want to backtrack to where Sephiroth appears in this chapter because I think that's where a lot of the juiciest stuff is. Uh, yeah, no, we we can head straight there. All right, let's jump right in. So it starts. Sephiroth descends quietly to a spot located away from the group. Cloud turns towards that direction. They can confront Sephiroth this time without him disappearing, implying something's a little different. This may not be mm. the cloud projecting his memory right mm -hmm. this, is, this, this is this is sephiroth more quote unquote, in the flesh yes whatever that means <laughs> but here comes a key point only here's the note right the notes only Aerith notices this sephiroth is different from the one they saw at shinra building mm -hmm. red 13 detects something by his sense of smell and growls without knowing the others also flinch at sephiroth's presence and this is where Aerith and Sephiroth have their exchange. You're wrong. Everything about you is wrong. And I love this little note here. The others can't keep up with Aerith and Sephiroth's conversation, which is funny because in a lot of ways that was us, the player, too. Yeah. Because we're looking at like, these two characters. Uh... <laughs> it's like you guys have knowledge of previous events. What the hell is going yeah, on? Like this is this is a conversation that's happening way higher above any of these people's pay grade <laughs> or even hours dude. yeah or even hours at the time yeah for sure so then sephiroth says this line all born are bound to her should this world be unmade so too shall her children cloud interprets this as sephiroth trying to destroy the planet he picks up his sword and then cloud says the world won't end today but you you will he ended up being wrong but let's move mm -hmm. on <laughs> a shockwave runs through and midgar becomes a blur as sephiroth looks up in the sky Shrill screams ring throughout Midgar. The cloud fills with black. The, the cloud. The sky fills with black clouds, composed of the group of whispers. They create a dome around Midgar. Cloud and the other cover their ears. Sephiroth remains unbothered, perhaps even taking comfort in this. Like I said, all those howls, like rain rolling off his back. Destiny it's, comes. Yeah. Oh, in man. Japanese, though, in Japan, it's this is interesting. He says destiny comes in English, but in Japanese, the translation is, it's the cries, cries of, of fate. Capital like, F, fate. Like he, like he hence the capital D destiny line, mm -hmm. I guess. Yep. That's probably where that came from. Yeah, like, but, <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, you know, makes sense now. But anyway, um, that, to me, what that means is that, like, Sephiroth, like, hearing the cries of fate himself is like, oh, th that's what he wants. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? That's what he came here to do. He's not just here to change the future. He knows that we have an interest in changing the future. Mm -hmm. and, and he he's... wants to he wants to facilitate the yes. process in which that will happen. And I feel like that has sort of led into what we've discussed at various points in this podcast, I feel like. Um, of like, you know, Sephiroth has this agenda, this 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 
ultimatum that is going on in that we are not particular like we kind of know what it is but it feels like in this new context we don't know what that ultimate goal is for him well i mean aside from the things that he has said but you know what i mean i feel like there's still like that underlying because we don't know we know that this is a different sephiroth but in what way is this a different sephiroth like it's obviously not a it's not a uh, a Marco situation because that was the 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 Sephiroth that they saw in Shinra Tower was a clone that I guess was just embodying or you know like oh this is the visage of Sephiroth right. being channeled through this guy you know and this I'm assuming and something that we had already kind of assumed through um, the Edge of Creation sort of thing like oh is this this is end of time Sephiroth this is advent children sephiroth who seemingly just kind of exists even though the real quote-unquote sephiroth should be stuck in the northern crater at this point Mm -hmm. so this yeah i think them saying like oh the Aerith, Aerith and red know that this is a diff like this is different from everything but i don't know i don't know if Aerith knows that far ahead but i guess it's sort of implying that that exactly. she knows that this is not this is a different version of Sephiroth that is not the actual this is well I don't know it's kind of hard to describe like because you have like real Sephiroth and it's like is this still real Sephiroth or you know because we still don't know in well I think of, like, this is the I think this know? is what you would call the tangible Sephiroth right this Sephiroth is the one Prime. with the advent children wing right this is the first time we really see him with the black wing now mm-hmm. we see the black feather appear everywhere It drops everywhere throughout this story as if Cloud's being led to follow some breadcrumbs. Mm. But this is the first time we see Sephiroth with that black wing. Yeah, actually, like, this is, yeah, this is is the Implying, again, that this could be the Advent Children Sephiroth, which we'll get to it. There's a lot more to it. But I want to finish this little page up. There's There's some Nojima notes here, but a lot of them are just really explaining what you're seeing. Sephiroth splices open the Wall of Whispers. And then he says, I'm waiting, Cloud. And now this is where, this is probably my most, this is probably the most interesting part of this page. Mm-hmm. When he says, I'm waiting, Cloud, Nojima's notes, it might sound like Sephiroth is referring to the reunion. But Sephiroth's true intention is that he calls to Cloud to go through the wall so he could tell Cloud the truth of the fate of the planet. Mm. He is calling to him mercifully. A smile crosses his face as he enters the wall. Cloud looks at the wall and for a moment hesitates, but decides to follow Sephiroth before he proceeds, Aerith grabs him. Mm-hmm. Now, <laughs> what is this about he is calling out to him mercifully? Now, because I feel like a lot of this kind of ties into, because if we, if we look back over Sephiroth's appearances throughout this game so far and, the, and his, you know, his moments with Cloud... It, even from the very beginning, in the first time that we see him, he's, you know, seems like he isn't necessarily an enemy. He doesn't want to fight Cloud. He kind of, it almost seems like he wants to convert him to be like, oh, you, hey, you know, maybe if, if we work together, we can mm-hmm. both. And, and it kind of is actually now making me thinking about that Edge of Creation stuff, which is definitely more, way more heavily implied that he wants to work together with Cloud and is trying to entice him by being like, oh, well, you know, you can, you know, yeah, we can change. Yeah, we can change how things went. Yeah, we can mm-hmm. do stuff. And it obviously, I feel like is, again, 
sort of trying to manipulate him into doing what he wants by, uh, you know, appealing to his desire for things to be different. Or, well, I guess maybe his latent desire for things to be different because he, Cloud, at this point, still doesn't know. He has seen the flashes and the images of, like, Aerith's death and things like that, but I don't think he actually knows what that is. Right. You know he doesn't, I mean? he has, he's not quite aware of it yet. But, but there is a part of him that deep down knows that this is some, like, some, something bad could happen unless and then maybe if i join sephiroth maybe i can stop whatever bad thing from happening you know and i feel like that is definitely uh and this is a more overt way of like confirming that for me of like sephiroth has just been manipulating cloud this whole time to to appeal to his you know sensibilities while also trying to accomplish his own goal and he doesn't it's not like it's not like he actually cares about cloud but he's willing to use him as a tool like a means to an end sort of thing because exactly. you know their goals technically align in in the fact that they want to change the outcome of this future that cloud isn't aware of yet but sephiroth definitely is aware of and he's abusing mm-hmm. that that lead over everybody and it isn't until Aerith comes into the picture and is like uh-uh Buster. Correct. And this <laughs> I know what you're doing. And this and this paints into Eris' line where he says, Hey, he'd tell you that he only cares about the planet, that he'd do everything in his power to protect and preserve mm-hmm. it. But this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Yep. Which like I'm trying to think this through, right? Because the following note after that is what we talked about earlier. Sephiroth's way of preserving the planet is to sacrifice those living. But Aerith thinks the planet does not wish for that. Dude, I can't help but think that Sephiroth wants to summon Omega. That's how I can make sense of the, mm. of sacrificing people because to save the planet. Because that... Omega is triggered when there's a lot of death. Yeah. And when, when there's enough death that Omega concludes, hey, there's no surviving this death... He absorbs the life stream and shoots off into the cosmos to basically set up shop with that life stream on another and planet. And what what did Sephiroth want? He, I want to soar the cosmos. He, with he this, wants with what is this it? planet as my vessel. With this planet as mm. my vessel, it's all mm. coming together. I, it's that's if, my it, best hypothesis right now. And you know, and like I said, you know, we were talking about like, hmm, there's got to be a reason why they're introducing deep ground so early on in this new narrative and oh my god okay i think i got it i think i got it okay Okay. so you remember sephiroth's original plan in og that he wanted to crash the meteor into the planet Mm -hmm. and then as you know like just like if you were to get a bruise on your arm your body starts to repair that bruise Mm -hmm. so sephiroth's plan was basically to crash this meteor giant meteor into the planet and to place himself at the center of the crater so that he could absorb all that energy for himself but mm-hmm. now, maybe what he's trying to do is, as this meteor is being summoned and people are being sacrificed, it would also trigger Omega, and then mm-hmm. maybe... And like then, Sephir- Go because, ahead. No, I was going to say, because in Dirge of Cerberus, uh, I believe what Vice was, was meant to uh, embody Omega, right? He, yes. Like, Omega was meant to be... He was meant to be a vessel for Omega, so... I the only other person I could imagine that would be a suitable vessel for a power that great would be Sephiroth. And now he wants basically he now wants that he to knows take... that Dirge of Cerberus yep. happened. Yep. <laughs> oh, because it didn't happen in oh 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 oh. Do it. You got oh, it. Oh, oh, you got oh, something. Oh. You got something. <laughs> because OG Sephiroth 
that existed in a time when Dirge of Cerberus didn't happen. But if this is a continuation from the events that have happened thus far in FF7, he would have knowledge of Omega and be like, oh, this is the new plan now. Fuck that old plan that didn't work out for me. Let me do this new thing now and change... Let me move the pieces around on the board so that, oh, maybe I can absorb this power of Omega and then I can actually do the thing that I wanted to do. Like, this is the true path for him. Yes. Because now oh. this, this, right, dude, 100%, because this puts oh. him in a position now where basically if, because like he doesn't want to let, like, he doesn't want to let Omega control him. He wants to be the driver for Omega. So mm-hmm. basically. Like I said, he wants to preserve the planet, right? But he wants to preserve the planet in Genova's image so that if he could essentially absorb the Whispers, absorb Mm. that crater, and Omega, Omega. he he can literally shoot existence off into the cosmos and do it all his way with Genova, a new calamity from the sky. Like, how do we know that's not the process that got Genova here in the first place? Right, like, right. Like, what if Genova was just the Omega of another planet? Holy shit. And, and that, now you just have, exactly, now you just have these, <laughs> these two warring ecosystems that are trying to sustain themselves. Yeah, like, it's, it's, uh, wow. Like that, even just having that moment in my head, <laughs> cross of like, wait a minute. Oh, because I did, I had totally forgotten about Omega until you mentioned it, and I was like, "Wait a fucking second! <laughs> that make everything now sort of lines up to like, yeah, that's why all these things are now happening because they and they didn't happen before because it didn't exist before, like right. Dirge of Cerberus and all these other compilation stuff that didn't exist before. So that that version of Sephiroth wouldn't have known about all this Correct. other stuff because he was long dead technically by the time that stuff happened." But Even now, after, you know, if he died at the yep. end of Advent Children, then he wouldn't know about the dirge stuff and all that other stuff, you know? Right. Right. <sighs> and this and it, it makes Fuck. it brings into context that Sephiroth's way of preserving the planet is to sacrifice those living. And the only way that makes and, any sense Yeah, and then yeah, is what they were doing in Dirge. They were sacri- they were putting the people they in were those literally, like train cars you're dropping and throwing people. them in the lava <laughs> yeah, like, to try and trigger Omega. He's gonna do the same oh thing. Oh my god. He's gonna and like, do you remember oh the scene where God. he absorbs the whispers? And in yep. the background, there's meteor coming as yep. it's gonna cra- it, it It's all gonna like converge into like one thing, like like. He, so he's basically taking all these destructive forces and absorbing them into himself, and then so, giving himself the power to take the planet to wherever, uh, like whatever he wants. <laughs> where, he's, he's chasing God, right? Like that's what all these Final Basic, Fantasy villains yeah, yeah. are doing. Uh, he has a, a massive God complex. But he's going to crazy complex. levels. <laughs> he's, taking, he's taking it to literal anime levels of... Like the like, most anime levels. And you know what? And you know what? This is the perfect way because you know what? Remember when Remake came out and everyone's like, why are we fighting Sephiroth this early? This is because it's not even his final form. Yeah. because when we fight him at the end he's going to be fuck you like i've absorbed all of the biggest power in the goddamn universe i'm the alpha and the omega <laughs> oh god dude holy shit yeah my head hurts dude this is uh like uh, i i gotta be honest i don't even i think 
mean, uh, you know, even regardless, if we weren't going to make this into a two-parter, I think even with this revelation, I would say that we would anyway. <laughs> I almost think when we're done, because we're going to need to do a two-parter for the rest of oh. what's left in this Ultimania. But I think oh when we get God. to the end of it, we should try to chew on this theory for a little bit and basically yeah. ask the question, is Sephiroth trying to summon Omega? And that we could take our newly extensive dirge knowledge oh. and try to and try to. Who would have thought? Out. Who would have thought that you know? Because I always thought like you know dirge like oh hey at least I I know who Vice and Nero are, mm -hmm. and that's the only benefit of the knowledge of dirge so far. But I maybe we might have to revisit dirge of Cerberus again with this new uh, with this new lens with this new lens to be and... like what the fuck is going on here and, and what... now and now suddenly it makes sense why all oh. this dirge stuff is popping up. Oh my god! Like oh my I'm, god. I'm like I'm sweating. <laughs> Aside from the fact that it's hot as fuck in here, I'm sweating and uh, I'm like my heart rate is through the roof right now. Cause it would be so epic. Like I would actually yeah, love this. It, it makes so much sense, and it's like, yeah, how do we make? How do we keep Sephiroth a true threat? Oh, if he just absorbs the biggest threat that we'd known so far, aside from him, which was Omega. Which is why I also have to believe that he's gonna have no interest in killing Aerith. Aerith is gonna die via, via oh, voluntary yeah, because sacrifice. What what is what can Aerith do against that? Well, we don't know actually. We don't know because again, but we couldn't rely on her. Like in Dirge, it wasn't like we were like, oh, Aerith will just cast Holy when Omega shows up. It was like she was rendered powerless mm -hmm. in the Dirge fight. Like our party had to do that themselves. Yeah, and I think I don't. Maybe that was a thing of like I don't know if maybe she just. <sighs> Like, maybe she doesn't have, maybe she used up her powers already, you know, to kind of yeah. like, you know, she, that, like her casting holy was like, this is my final move. This is my, this is my, my final technique that yep. I'm going to use. And then she used up the rest of everything that was inside of her. <laughs> you just activated my trap card. <laughs> yeah. Pot of greed. <laughs> um, <laughs> I but, think, uh, dude, this is, uh, this has opened up a lot of potential oh yeah a lot of potential theories that are now uh uh fucking tokyo drifting around my head right now oh yeah um, and <laughs> i think i think actually even though we're nowhere near done talking about this oh. i think this is a good place to wrap up because if yeah. we if Holy we decide to like move ahead and touch on rufus yeah. we're not going to be able to focus yeah yeah there's yeah there's there's don't worry, uh, people listening at home. There's still plenty more of the There's Ultimania we need to discuss. Plenty more Ultimania, and we're definitely gonna want to go was in not, on this. This was not. This was not a planned thing. This was. <laughs> this revelation that we've just had was just. This just kind of happened, <laughs> and I'm, I'm actually kind of like really floored, and Me like too. really excited. Uh, and I, uh, man, I I really feel like I could talk about this for like. 12 hours and, that, and that's but, what i'm saying well dude when we're done with the ultimania let's do a whole episode on this theory absolutely i absolutely think that we should and, oh yeah it'd be uh, a crime if we didn't and people listening at home tell us tell us what you think yeah tell us what you <laughs> think let us, us so, know let are us know we crazy or have we been yeah. you know has has the 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 year of quarantine really destroyed our minds <laughs> to the point where we're grasping at straws i don't think so i think this is this might be like I might, I might actually put this down. Like this is what is going to happen. And like, also, also, I think dude, this is the end game of what remake is going to be. And also, dude, this is exactly what we're talking about when we're like, we can't let ourselves get too distracted with what's going on with Zach. 
that's intentionally very cloudy and yeah, hazy. Yeah, they're playing. They're playing our fucking heartstrings with Zach. Right, but and he will. He will have a place in the in this greater narrative. But I don't think he is the. I think now, honestly, because I was always I was thinking that Aerith was going to be the center of all this. I think Sephiroth is going to be the center of all this now. One hundred percent, and that explains why he's getting like his own little like miniature episode that mm. uh, Nojima's like building out for him. And, you know, he, and then and he like even went soldier. to the world of Super Smash Brothers to gather <laughs> all the power from... <laughs> I shall bring despair to Smash. <laughs> I'm going to kill Mario. Um, <laughs> but but uh, yeah, I mean, shit, yeah. man. This even feels weird ending on this because I'm like... I was, uh, you know... I've been, I've been awake uh, since early this morning <laughs> and was kind of uh, dwindling, but now I feel like I just... Uh, pounded a fucking can of monster <laughs> and I'm like, I'm ready to go. Revitalized. But, uh, before, yeah, before we go, before we unhinge ourselves anymore, I think uh, we're going to, to end this episode. And yeah, we're going to circle back to this. We're going to circle Don't back worry. to it for sure. And I honestly, this is, this is, you know, we've kind of in the past have asked people for their opinions on certain things. This is something I actually want to know. So yeah. people, you know, members of the Mosey gang, uh, anyone really, you can let us know what you think about this because I, I my mind is literally blown. My, my mind has been scattered on the wall. Blown. <laughs> yeah. Right now. Yeah. But, let, uh, let us know everybody when, you know, whether by way of Mosey gang, or you just want to, Comment on the social media posts we put or up. Send, send us an email. Let, Fuck, we have an email. E- Midgar Minute of uh, the Midgar Minute at gmail.com. Yeah, right? let us know what you think of this theory because uh, we think we're really onto something here. Yeah, because we want to, you know, I, 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 this. I think, I think we found gold, boys. I think oh, we yeah. found. I think we found it. <laughs> and hopefully, it's not like you know the tomb of Ra or something, and we're just gonna, <laughs> this is gonna yeah. destroy us from the inside out. But. You know, that's that's for future us to worry about. As for now, um, would you like to count us down, sir? I would love to. Are you ready? I am ready. Three, two, two one. one. <laughs> 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 Sis Sniper remake. Hey. <laughs>